Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. American Taliban released from prison. Big mistake. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carroll a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Well, yes, um, I'm sure you may have heard the news already. The American Taliban, also known as John Walker Lind, his real name, uh, has just been released from prison. And yes, it is a big mistake. Why? Because he is unrepentant. He is the first U.S.-born uh, detainee in the war on terror. He was uh, detained right after 9-11. He only served 17 of his 20 years, and he just walked out of a federal prison in Terre Haute, Indiana. He's going to be living in Virginia, except he wanted to go to, to Ireland, but I'll tell you later about that. Um, he does have a probation officer, and he does have certain conditions that were put on him by the judge, but... <laughs> As you will hear, he is not a man who, <laughs> who likes to listen to authority. So whatever his conditions and his probation officer, and his probation officer is going to have his hands full. That's all I have to say. Well, that's not all I have to say. <laughs> I'm going to start with who is John Walker Lind? Let's look at how he became the American Taliban. Because I think it's fascinating to look at the, I mean, you know, of course, I'm a psychiatrist. I always think it's fascinating to look at the origins of people who commit crimes. You know, as a forensic psychiatrist, I look at why murderers commit murder, and it all for everybody, whether they're a terrorist or a run-of-the-mill murderer um, or whomever, or you, <laughs> uh, your origins, the reason why you are the way you are today is because of what happened in your childhood. So let's look at John Walker Lynn's childhood, the making of a terrorist. He was born February 9th, 1981 in Washington, D.C. to Marilyn Walker and Frank Lind. Um, he is the middle child of three, and you know, middle children, <laughs> middle children always have to do, or not always, but typically do things to try to get themselves noticed, and sometimes they are not things that um, are getting good attention. Uh, he was named John after John Lennon, who had been murdered two months before John Walker Lind was born. He was baptized Catholic. He grew up in Silver Springs, Maryland. Uh, when he was 10 years old, his parents moved to Northern California. When he was young, as a child, he had an, an intestinal disorder. So, you know... Um, uh, it improved when he got to be 14, but when children have serious illnesses, um, you know, that of course goes into who they are, part of their psyche, perhaps, you know, this um, made him be um, isolated from schoolmates, not able to, or at least not able to do the same things that his schoolmates did. Um, and maybe he may have been homeschooled. I actually have not been able to find that yet, but it, but I do know that he was, um, he did 
uh, go to Redwood High School as a freshman, and it seems as though that is when he came back or was able to come back because of his, because he was he got better from his intestinal disorder. So he went to Redwood High School, that's in Northern California, for one year, and then dun dun dun, he transferred to Temescal High School, which is an alternate school. So obviously he did not do too well, did not fit in, did not uh, do too well at Redwood High School. And um, he went to this alternate school after a year and did self-study. And he studied, he chose to study Sunni Islam and the Middle East. And he dropped out at 16 years old. He eventually passed the high school equivalency exam. Now he is not stupid. Um, as you will hear, uh, so it's not because he didn't, he wasn't smart enough to, um, do okay in school. It's because of psychological problems that were beginning already. Um, when he was a teen, he would spend a lot of time, uh, participating in chat rooms. In fact, that may have begun before he was a teen because he, um, seemed to have a lot of time to, um, to spend on his own being in chat rooms, he called himself, in these chat rooms, he called himself Mujahid. And he also, um, on social media, pretended to be a black rapper. And he was influenced by the Spike Lee film, Malcolm X. And that, in fact, is what uh, sparked his interest in Islam. So, you know, he seems to have been, at the very least, what we can say, is that he was a vulnerable, impressionable child um, and teen, and largely also because of his parents' marriage that was in trouble. They divorced, they separated in 1997 uh, when he was 16 years old, and that is the same year that he converted to Islam. Now I know people, particularly people who have been divorced, don't like to think that divorce causes scars on children, but I can tell you from treating countless people who had divorced parents that yes, in fact, divorce does uh, cause problems, scar leave scars on children. And if you look at, pay attention to um, people who, who have committed significant murders um, and you will look at their childhood, if you look at their childhood, you will often see that they can't come from a broken home uh, for one reason or another. I mean, Nicholas Cruz comes to mind. His parents, he was adopted. He was given up at birth. And um, anyway, he had all kinds of problems as a child. I'm not going to go off on a tangent to Nicholas Cruz, but just pay attention when you hear about new people in the news who have committed some kind of significant uh, tragedy. And the, in their background, there will always be a broken home. So his parents um, were essentially separated in 1997, as I said, when he was 16, the same year he converted to Islam. And um, his, when they were separated, his father, now remember they were living in Northern California, and his father moved to San Francisco, left the wife, left uh, his wife to live with a male lover. Now that certainly would have stirred up issues in a teenage boy. 16-year-old boy who's finding his own sexuality and own identity. And then they divorced at, um, in 1999 when he was 18 years old. 
1998, so, you know, right after the separation, <laughs> he got out of there. He went to Yemen. <laughs> it was enough, right? He, his father's going to San Francisco to live with a male lover. His parents had been arguing for years, and he's getting out of there. So he went to Yemen, where he spent 10 months to learn Arabic so he could read the Quran in the original language. Now, that's why I say he was not stupid. I mean, first, that takes a lot of um, discipline and intelligence to be able to do that, and a lot of motivation to learn what it says in the Quran. Um, he returned to the U.S. after these eight months, and he, after these, uh, ten, these 10 months, and he stayed with his family for eight months, and then he went back to Yemen. He realized, nope, it was better in Yemen. He went back to Yemen in February 2000. Then he went to Pakistan to study at a madrasa. And during his time in the Middle East, he would be frequently emailing his family. And at one point, his father told him about the USS Cole bombing. And John replied that the bombing was justified. So the father said after that, that um, this raised my concerns, he said, but my days of molding him were over. Really? He was um, only, let's see, so that would have been, he would have been around 19 years old and his days of molding him are over. Uh, I think his days of molding him were over before that, you know, when he kind of went on his own way. In any case, when uh, John was 20, he went to Af Afghanistan in May 2001, and he started fighting for the Taliban. Now, his lawyer has said, uh, this is back in the day, um, that, uh, although I'm sure his lawyer still says this, that he told uh, the U.S. interrogators when he was captured that in December 2001, well, actually November 2001, he was captured. And, but he told um, these interrogators that after 9-11, he wanted to leave the front lines, the Taliban's front lines, but he couldn't for fear of his life. Uh, and the lawyer said that he, didn't ne he never fought the American military. Well, all of that is very questionable because in fact, when he was captured, um, by the U.S. in November 2001, um, he gave a very different story of his allegiances. And um, he was captured because he wound up in a detention uh, camp in northern Afghanistan, and um, Americans came into this detention uh, uh, camp and um, in fact, he was talking with a CIA officer and he kind of was lying to the CIA officer. The CIA officer was Johnny Michael Spann. And right when uh, he was talking to him or just after, there was a Taliban uprising in this detention camp that killed hundreds of prisoners. And somehow John Walker Lind survived uh, he didn't cooperate with the Americans during the uprising against the Americans in this camp. And, um, but so that was how and when he was captured. And, um, well, let me, 
<laughs> I'm getting so wrapped up in the story. Let me take a break here. And it's a very interesting story. You know, that's the thing. When you go back to the childhood of these Taliban, people who joined the Taliban terrorists, uh, especially when they are American, you know, or Western, come from Western countries, it is particularly interesting to look at their childhood because you wonder, you know, it seems like how could they become, um, how could they go to the Middle East? How could they become this devoted? Read the, the Taliban in the original, read the Taliban, read the Quran in the original language and so on. This was quite, um, quite devoted. So when we come back, we'll talk more about the American Taliban, John Walker Lind, who has just been released from prison. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show. Uh, before the break, we were talking about the childhood of John Walker Lind, the American Taliban who has just been released from prison. Big mistake. Uh, by the end of this, I hope you will understand why I am saying big mistake. Um, <laughs> I, it was, his childhood was extremely fascinating. And, you know, it ha this goes along with uh, my studies of other uh, terrorists who, um, when you look into their childhood, there is always something that made them feel isolated, made them feel different, made them have questions about their identity, sexual or otherwise, um, made them be in a very vulnerable psychological state, vulnerable to influences, and wanting to find a purpose and a place in life and hurt and being very easily influenced by um, some things that will make them feel, you know, ah, that's my purpose. And that seems to be what happened to John Walker Lind. Certainly, as I described, he had a very uh, difficult childhood moving from place to place. Um, and, you know, having this intestinal disorder and um, going to not doing well in school and being kind of obsessed with chat rooms and social media and seeing uh, Spike Lee, Lee's film, Malcolm X, that focused his interest on Il Islam. And, and he studied um, in his alternative high school, um, he studied the uh, on his own he you know he was able in this school he was able to do self-study and he studied sunni islam and the middle east so he was a walking time bomb to begin with all right so let me talk about now his capture when he was 20 years old in november of 2001 uh he was captured by american forces uh, in this detention camp in northern Afghanistan, as I was describing. And um, there is video, CNN got priceless video uh, of his being on a stretcher, uh, having just been captured. And he's asked about, are you injured? And he says, I have a bullet in my leg and several shrapnel wounds. Now the person questioning him notices right away that he has an accent. And um, he asked him about the accent, and he says, uh, John Walker Lynn says, I haven't spoken English with a native English speaker in several months. I've been speaking Arab. Well, <laughs> I hate to tell you, <laughs> but that, that, that does not, you know, make him have uh, that much of a strange accent. 
Um, I mean, I went to medical school in Europe. I lived in Belgium and in France. And yes, um, you know, that may have tamed my New York accent some, but it didn't make me speak English uh, with a French accent, even though I was speaking French every day for almost six years. So, and yes, I was speaking with some English, native English speaking people, but still, really? Um, and so he was um, captured and he was put on a Navy warship. He was a prisoner. You know, the, the person who was talking to him told him, you are a prisoner now. And interestingly, and he was very arrogant in this interview, and he's lying on a stretcher. He's injured, you know, but he still is by, by captured by Americans, right? But he still has an arrogant attitude. And so the person who is questioning him says, asks him, um, you know, what do you think? Do you think, uh, is this being in the Middle East, being a part of the Taliban, is it all that you expected it to be? And the person questioning him obviously expected him to say, no, you know, I made a mistake, I shouldn't have gone. And instead, John says, it is exactly what I thought it would be. And he says it in a very arrogant tone and, um, you know, defiantly. So, um, and then there's a, an interview in this same CNN piece. There's an interview of his mother giving a press conference who looks like a very lovely woman. <laughs> I don't know how this happened to her, but uh, we don't know. I don't, I can't tell you anything about the psychology. I have to look into that. I'd love to interview his mother, actually, to find out what happened <laughs> to turn him into the American Taliban. But um, what she said in this uh, press conference, she said, um, I still have unconditional love for my son. Uh, he, this was, she said, I, had, I saw him after two years and I have unconditional love for my son. I mean, that sounds all very sweet and psychologically good, but obviously there must be a lot more that went on in that house. So um, uh, he was charged with um, conspiracy to kill U.S. nationals. This was in 2002. Well, well, in 2001, he was arrested. He was brought back to the U.S. after his time on this naval ship as a prisoner. And um, in 2002, he was charged with conspiracy to kill U.S. nationals and, uh, and other charges. And then he made a plea deal. And it's kind of, this whole thing is very questionable, this plea deal. Um, he only pled guilty to fighting alongside the Taliban. And um, he gave, and his, he, he was given a plea deal because it was to prevent the details of he he apparently received some something that could be considered mistreatment on this naval ship or or when he was captured by the u.s forces either at the camp or on the naval ship and so uh they were afraid that the defense his defense lawyers were going to bring out this mistreatment alleged mistreatment and so they, you know, cooperated and gave him a plea deal. Plus, again, he was the first U.S.-born detainee in the war on terror. So they, they were trying to, still trying to figure out how to handle this. It was, and, to the, and today, they're still trying to figure out how to handle um, people who want to come back from the Middle East who were involved with terrorists. Anyhow, um, he gave a 14-minute speech at his hearing 
and and he sniffed. This guy, I think, deserves an Oscar. He sniffled, and he almost broke down when he gave this speech. And he said, had I realized then what I know now about the Taliban, I would never have joined them. I never understood that jihad to mean anti-Americanism or terrorism. Now, really? This is a man who read the Quran in its original language, studied Sunni terrorism in high school, <laughs> um, was in the Middle East um, for years, and he didn't know that jihad meant uh, anti-Americanism. Really? Anyhow, um, this, so now he is freed, and um, there are things, however, that were found and reported on that reveal that really he has not repented. He does not not believe um, what terrorists believe. And in fact, during the time that he was in prison, um, he did various things that indicated uh, to the prison and also to the National Counterterrorism Center um, that he was still very much a terrorist. In May 2016, uh, or as of May 2016, he, quote, continued to advocate for global jihad and to write and translate violent extremist texts. And in March 2016, he told a TV news producer that he would, that he wouldn't, um, that he would continue to spread extremist Terror, extremist Islam upon his release. Now, this is, you know, 2016, 2017, and um, he made um, pro-ISIS statements, and he sent an email to his father that said he was not interested, I'm not interested in renouncing my beliefs or issuing condemnations. So there has been nothing that he has shown uh, up to this point that indicates that he does repent or that he doesn't still believe in radical Islam. Then there was a, uh, an LA NBC news producer who started writing to him in jail. And in 2015, he said that ISIS was doing a spectacular job. Uh, the Islamic State is clearly very sincere and serious about fulfilling the long neglected religious obligation of establishing a caliphate through uh, armed struggle, which is the only correct method. So for years, you know, it's not like there's anything where he said, um, oh, wow, did I make a mistake? And then in prison, um, he recited, listen to this, while he was in prison, he recited the entire Quran from memory each week. He regularly gave call to prayer to the other Muslims in his unit. Um, his whole life in prison was reading, writing, and praying, He was and, and working out. Uh, the other Muslims in his unit cooked for him. And in 2014, he wrote an essay um, that I will tell you about in the next segment. <laughs> Okay, when we come back, we'll continue talking about the uh, American Taliban and why he shouldn't be released, how it is still dangerous 
to release a man who has never really said, except except when he was lying, except when he said that in his um, sentencing, you know, and then he said this in his sentencing tearfully, right? And then in prison, he went on to prove that no, he didn't repent and he isn't sorry. So stay tuned <laughs> and we will continue with uh, analyzing John Walker Lind. Welcome back uh, to the Terrorist Therapist Show. We're talking today about the American Taliban, John Walker Lind, who was just released from prison in Terre Haute, Indiana. He will live in Virginia and is going to be um, under, is going to have a probation officer for the next three years. But um, I think the probation officer is going to have his hands full and that it was a big, big mistake to release him from prison. Um, to continue where I left off, you know, while he was, well, first of all, while he was in the Middle East um, at studying, he, he spent his time studying maps and explosives, how to make explosives. He fought on the front line. He met, oh, I don't want to leave this out. He met Osama bin Laden at least once while he was studying in, with, with Al-Qaeda. And so this is a guy, you know, he wasn't just dabbling in radical Islam. He was really committed. And there was no reason to believe. And again, remember I was saying he was committed since he was a teenager. And that was the only thing in his life that gave him purpose and made him, um, you know, was a, was a light at the end of the tunnel from his disturbed childhood. So this is not a guy who is going to give up his commitment very quickly. And in fact, he did not. The, the inmate, an inmate of his in prison, um, who belonged to a group called CAGE, C-A-G-E, it's an acronym. And it was started by someone, or maybe it, <laughs> it might just stand for CAGE, as in they were in a cage. Um, it was a group that was started by someone who was released from Guantanamo without charges, but he was in there. And he is an advocate for those who were arrested or prosecuted in the war on terror. So um, he knew um, John Walker Lind, and he, uh, he's the one who talked about how when John was in prison, he was reciting the entire Quran from memory each week, and as I was saying, regularly calling his Muslim, um, you know, prisoner friends to prayer every day, and um, spent his days writing, praying, working, and working out. You know, that's important. Reading, and um, and and he wrote an essay. John Walker Lynn wrote an essay that was published by Cage in 2014. And this is what John Walker Lind said, quote, free time is a, is a great, free time is a great gift from Allah and few people enjoy more of it than prisoners. The best way we can express our gratitude to Allah for this gift is through the study, recitation, memorization, contemplation and implementation of his noble book. Implementation is the key word there of his noble book. And you know, um, well, you know if you've been listening to my podcast, um, that 
uh, and you know in general, that um, radical Islam, of course, the goal, the plan, the long-standing plan is to take over the West and um, create Sharia law or have Sharia law be the law of the West. And so that is all, uh, that is the implementation. And, you know, of course, also the radical Islamists um, say, and just like John Walker Lynn, Walker Lynn said, that it's by armed conflict. So here is a man who said this in 2014. We have other writings that he uh, wrote, uh, emails and so on, you know, that the prisoner, because when you're in prison, the prisoner, the Federal Bureau of Prisons, or the, um, the prison authority have, has access to your telephone calls, to your emails, to your letters, everything. So they were able to see what he was writing and nothing in his writing said, oops, I made a mistake joining the Taliban. Now, um, so there are some people, as I started to say earlier, who are concerned about his being released. Um, some are calling for an investigation into the time he spent in prison um, when he was still pro-ISIS. Now, if there's an investigation and they find more, apparently, because apparently this, what I've told you about, is not enough to send him back to prison, and he was given, you know, he, had, he was given a 20-year sentence, and he's being released now after only 17 years for good behavior. Now, I ask you, how is this good behavior? How is um, essentially radicalizing other prisoners and writing these things um, good behavior. I mean, even just the thing that I read to you that he wrote for Cage, you know, to be an essay that was published, how is that good behavior? The, as I said, the key word is implementation. That's, you know, the uh, wink, wink word, telling people um, to commit jihad. So how is this good behavior? If, um, if there's more and um, a judge comes to his senses and decides that, that he shouldn't be released on good behavior, he could be sent back to detention. But really, um, he shouldn't have been released. It's always hard to bring the horse back to the barn after he's run away. So he should not have been released in the first place. Um, now, someone else asking for his release is the father of the CIA agent who he, uh, although it hasn't been proven that he directly killed this man, um, you know, that he like physically put a knife into him or however else killed him, Johnny Michael Spann, the CIA officer who was in the detention camp in North Afghanistan where there was this uh, uprising, they weren't able to prove that he was the one who uh, personally killed Johnny Michael Spann, but certainly he took part on behalf of the Taliban in this uprising in which Johnny Michael Spann was killed. So Johnny's father, who is also called Johnny Spann, um, is trying to call, petition the judge and so on for, um, for John Walker Lind to not be released but, you know, or to be sent back to prison at this point. Um, and he said, the father said, you need to find out for sure if this guy is still the same Al-Qaeda member we put in jail. If he is, we need to throw the plea agreement away, <coughs> away and do something else. Well, no kidding. 
Now, um, he also contacted, besides the judge, the father contacted Senator Richard Shelby, who's an Alabama uh, Republican, and he took it to tr President Trump, who agreed that Lind should be um, kept, could, should serve his full sentence and not have an early release. But it is uh, unclear whether Trump is going to be able to do anything about that. Now, this is what's supposed to happen after his release. He is supposed to be, quote, closely watched, unquote, for the next three years. And uh, Judge T.S. Ellis in Virginia has put these conditions on him. He can't possess any, quote, internet-capable device, unquote, without his probation officer's permission, and any approved device must be, quote, monitored continuously. So what does that mean? His poor probation officer, could you, how would you like to be him? His poor probation officer, um, what, is supposed to stay up 24-7 watching what um, he's putting on the internet? The American Taliban is putting on the internet? Now that's kind of impossible. And what about phone? Uh, presumably he's allowed to use the phone and to write letters. I mean, you don't only have to use the internet to, um, to communicate with people and to communicate uh, radical Islamist, Islamic beliefs, unless, you know, they haven't just mentioned that he was, he's also not allowed to use the phone, but that seems strange. Um, he is also supposed to not have any online communication that is not in English unless it's approved and not to have any communication with a known extremist. Again, this is all about online. Um, and no material not to read or possess any material that reflects extremist or terrorist views. Well, he doesn't have to do that. He has his own, his own, he's been studying this for years. Um, he doesn't need to read anything new. Um, now, the reason why this is particularly concerning, not just letting him out into the public, but there are 421 inmates with known histories related to terrorism, with known histories of, not just related, but known histories, you know, of charges connected to terrorism, and or some being in the nexus of international terrorism. There are... Uh, you know, in these, let me try this again, 421 inmates either have known histories with, of convicted uh, or charged with terrorist, um, uh, you know, related activities or some other kind of connection to international terrorism, 421. Of these, 60 to 100 will be released in the next five years. So this goes more than... Um, this is more of a problem than just the American Taliban. And just another little um, interesting tidbit. Um, it, while he was in prison, um, this was either, let's say, yes, this was in 2013. So while he was in prison, he was connecting with Ireland because um, he has an Irish grandfather and he uh, was seeking asylum in Ireland, and he said because his survival in the U.S. is practically impossible. So he became, he was granted citizenship 
I guess uh, Ireland is not thinking straight either. He was granted citizenship um, in Ireland. Perhaps they will revoke this when they learn about what he's been doing in prison. And also citizenship, uh, or also his plans, he was, in, not citizenship, <laughs> but he was also interested not only in going to Ireland, but also in Puerto Rico uh, after his release. So he can't go anywhere yet, though, at least for three years, because he can't have a passport um, and can't leave the U.S. without the court's permission, at least for these three years. Well, you know, this is all very iffy, and um, certainly somebody like that who has lied a number of times, he lied actually to the CIA agent when he was captured in, in Afghanistan. Um, he, did, he said he was an Irish citizen. He didn't say that he was a, um, an American citizen because he thought it would be harder or he'd be getting into more trouble or be treated more harshly if he admitted he was an American citizen. So this man, he cried in his sentencing, as I told you. So this man, you know, should win an Oscar, but he should not be released from prison. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. Com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.